0: I want you to use your imagination for a minute here. I want you to imagine that you have um, a job in a in a large office setting. And you are sitting in a room waiting for a very important meeting to begin. And everyone who's supposed to be there is there and the meeting is just ready to start and right before it does through the door walks a 9,000 pound behemoth with huge floppy gray ears and a long snake-like nose and it just stands against the wall of the conference room. And the meeting starts and, and goes like a meeting was supposed to go. Only when the meeting concludes you realize you haven't really been paying attention to what was said because you were so focused on what was not said what was not talked about you couldn't pay attention in the meeting because of the elephant in the room well because we're still in the book of James I want to talk to you this morning about a section that is still about James's main idea which is growing in this faith. It's about redeemed people growing to be more like Jesus. Sanctification. But before we get into that passage, I want you to know there's an, there's an elephant in this passage, so to speak. There's going to be an elephant in the room in this passage that I think if, if we don't talk about, many of us won't be able to hear what's going on in the rest of the meeting. Because James is going to appear to contradict something that we just read in the previous book we studied, the book of Galatians. There's no contradiction. But I want you to know why that's true before we study the rest of the passage. The contradiction has to do with these two verses, Galatians 2.16 and James 2.24. Now before we even read them, I want to make one thing yet again very clear because the apparent contradiction has to do with the absolute foundation of this faith of ours. And I want you to know before we read anything else that what we've said, who knows how many times here is still true. Salvation, eternal life comes to those by a, that are given a free gift they do not deserve from God. And that gift is a declaration of righteousness that God gives to those, to anyone who will believe, but to only those who believe that the reason Jesus died on the cross is to suffer the punishment that you deserve for your sin. He was punished in your place, but because of the sin you need rescued from. Anyone who believes that, but only those who believe that, receive eternal life. Salvation is by a gift of God's grace through faith in Christ alone. We could read examples of the of the Bible teaching us that in both testaments all day long. We could read examples of that until the Huskers are good again. We could read examples of that until America elects a young president again. But I just want to give you two. One from Jesus's words in John 3 in a little different translation, John or Jesus says this, "'For this is the way God loved the world. "'He gave His one and only Son.'" Why? "'So that everyone who believes in Him "'will not perish, but have eternal life.'" And then Jesus said, "'The one who believes in Him is not condemned.'" The one who does not believe in Him has been condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Salvation is by faith alone.'" Paul in Ephesians 2, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. That being said, we need to address the elephant in the room. First, Galatians 2.16. We read this together and studied through it a few months ago. Paul writes to the Galatians, we know that a person is not justified by the work of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul's pretty clear. He says the same thing about four different times. But now check this out. In today's passage, James will write, You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You don't have to look very hard to find something that seems like a pretty direct contradiction. Do you? That's the elephant in the room. Now, they're both Scripture. They're both inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're both true, and they do not contradict. But it takes some explaining to understand why. All right, the first thing, if we're going to understand why these two don't contradict, what we have to understand is that when these two men wrote, Paul up here, James down here, when they were talking about being justified, they were talking about different things. They use the word kind of the same way, but they're talking about different things. We talked a lot about justification, the word justify or to be justified, in the book of Galatians. When Paul talked about the word, just means to to make yourself or your actions uh, appear differently in someone's eyes. To, Right? Justification is how, what causes God to see me differently. If I've done something wrong to you, but I want you to see me differently than you see me because I've done what I've done, I might try to justify my actions. Right? Which just means I'm trying to get you to see me differently in spite of what I've done. That's what justify means. Now, when Paul writes about people being justified Before God, Paul is always talking about this concept that we looked at in the book of Galatians, this slide that I took from Lincoln, Berean, and Brian Clark. Here's the idea most people live their life believing that their works, what they do, will determine whether or not they're good in God's eyes, acceptable in God's eyes. The Bible teaches that when we believe in Christ and the trade-off that occurs at the cross, which is my sin went on Him. When I believe in that, I get His righteousness placed on me. And instantly when I believe, I get the righteousness of Jesus Christ in what's called legal justification or positional justification. I bear positionally before God the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only weakness of this chart is that this line, this righteousness should be infinitely high up there in the sky. And it is correct that this line is flat because the righteousness of Jesus Christ never changes. It can't increase. It can't decrease. It's perfection always, eternally. And if you have believed in Jesus Christ, Paul said it is no longer you who live. It's Christ who lives in you. What shows to God for your position with Him is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what causes God to see you differently. You've been justified by faith. Now, when James talks about being justified, James is talking about the other chart we looked at in the book of Galatians and the other side of it. Remember, James wrote his book about the Christian life, about maturing in Christ, about uh, the sanctification process whereby God changes me more and more into the likeness of His Son. We bear by faith, we are justified positionally, but conditionally, we got some work to do, right? And I want you to hear me say that again. Conditionally, we have some what to do? Work to do. That's what James writes his book about, the work we have to do if we're going to grow in this faith. And you can't read this very well, but that word right there on this chart says truth. What grows us to the point where slowly our condition begins more and more to to match our position. What grows us is our faith, what we believe. Because we all do what we think will be best. When we're very immature, we're honest, We think what will be best is not what God says is best. The more I believe that what God says is best is actually best, then the more I will do what God says is best, even though it's not what I used to think was best. That's growth. Now, when James writes about justification, James is talking about our lives, our actions, our works, our deeds. Does God still see what you do? Of course. So when God sees something you do, are there times where God sees what you do and thinks, wow, that's wrong. And are there other times where God sees what you do and thinks, hey, that was right. Of course, of course. And so there are things that we do that changes how God sees what we do. And justification is what causes God to see us differently. And so when James talks about being justified by works, he is talking about what we do that changes how God sees what we do, our actions. On a related note, another difference between Galatians and James and other things that that Paul wrote in certain places. When, when Paul talked about judgment and said things like, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote not exclusively, but Paul wrote a lot of times about, we have no worries about our judgment before God, right? We have no worries because our judgment was already carried out on the cross. He was condemned instead of me, right? So, We do not have to worry about our judgment as far as who gets into heaven and who has to go to hell. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your judgment was secured, it's over. But Paul also wrote about another judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. Whereby every single one of us who are believers in Jesus, before we go into the place that he has prepared for us, Our lives will be judged by Jesus. This part of our life, how we lived as a Christian, what we did that glorified him. And Paul was clear that at that judgment, there's going to be regret. There is not going to be punishment. I, I won't have any more punishment for any sin I ever sin from God. There'll be consequences on earth, but no more punishment because he was punished fully. God's fully satisfied. But when I stand before Jesus, I will regret times where I could have done something differently that would have been obedient, that would have glorified him. When James talks about judgment, that's the judgment he's talking about. He's talking about this stuff, the earthly consequences of sin and the consequences that I will have when I stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, not to see whether or not I get into heaven. That's a done deal. But however that system of reward works, the times where I was obedient will have been worth it. And the times where I was unfaithful, I will regret that judgment seat of Christ, and the earthly consequences of sin that still happen. Paul would never say, hey, because you're justified by faith and you bear the righteousness of Jesus Christ, hey, sin doesn't matter anymore. People always accused Paul of teaching that, and he would always say, may it never be. See, These two guys actually agree. They don't disagree. But there is a judgment, and there needs to be constant judgment of ourselves in our lives because we have work to do. James, that's what James writes about, this, this. He believes in this, but he writes about this. Look what James said about judgment, that we've already read James 1.15, then when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. When sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Sin still brings death. It can bring physical death, relationship death. It just lets the death seep into our lives. Now, is James teaching, well, if you sin, you still may die for all of eternity? Of course not, because he's a Christian. That's <laughs> not, not what Christians teach but sin, he's still concerned with our earthly consequences. James 2.12, speak and act like those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Was James teaching With at the end of your life, you're going to be judged to see if you were good enough to go to heaven when you die? No. But there's that judgment seat of Christ where we are going to be judged by our behavior and we're going to regret where we failed. And we're going to somehow be rewarded for where we've been faithful. James 3.1, this is where we'll start next week. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Does that mean it's harder for someone who teaches the Bible to go to heaven when they die? No. But it does mean at the judgment seat of Christ, there... I don't want to preach next week's sermon. Come back next week and we'll talk about that. We got time. We got time. All right, now we're ready to read our passage, I think. Those two men, there's no contradiction between Paul and James. They just had a different like, part of our faith in mind. Let's read our passage this morning. It's, it's um, on the screen to follow along. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Let's go. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Verse 21 Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. There's our passage. We start in verse 14 where James asks a couple of questions that really control this whole passage. Everything else is just James answering these two questions. James asks, if someone claims to have faith, but they have no works. Their their life isn't changed. They're not different. Their behavior doesn't grow. What good is that? And then he asks, "Can can that sort of faith save him? Now first, before I say anything else, I want you to note, James does not ask if faith is enough to save people. He doesn't even ask that question. He says, if someone claims... To have faith. Claiming to have faith and having faith are not the same thing. You know, James, we can take what James says here in one of two ways, and James would agree with both things, so I'm going to teach both of them to you. But first, it is possible to understand. The plan of salvation of the cross and not be redeemed by the plan of salvation of the cross. It is very possible. You know how I know? You ever hear of a guy named Richard Dawkins? Richard Dawkins is maybe the, the leading atheist thinker um, alive right now. He's the author of a book called The God Delusion. I cannot not recommend that book hard, hard enough. But Richard Dawkins can explain to you what I believe is the gospel. He can tell you what the Christian faith teaches about who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. He understands it, but he is not redeemed by it. This is a, this is a serious thing. Claiming to have faith Does not mean, understanding the gospel does not mean that I'm redeemed by the gospel. A saving faith involves first understanding I, because of the things that I do and things I've done, I need rescued from me. That there are problems in here with me. And he is the only solution and rescuer. And so when I, when I come to Jesus, I am asking him to rescue me from my sin, which means I, see my, I have to see my sin as a problem. If the only thing I see as a problem is, I've heard that some people go to hell when they die, and other people go to heaven, and I want to raise my hand at the time when they ask who wants to go to heaven. That's not a saving faith. A saving faith starts with the understanding I need saved. Like me, there's problems here because God says they're problems. Now, when I believe, I will not ever get to the point where I don't have some of those problems. But if I never see anything as a problem, I just sort of want to take it to heaven. Can that kind of faith save me? I don't think so. Now, there could be something, there could be something else that James is saying here in verse 14. Because remember, when James talks about judgment, and when James. Usually, when he talks about like being saved from sin, he's usually, he's not talking about who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. I'm not saying he might not be talking about that here, but James is usually talking about being saved from other consequences of sin, like the consequences sin lets into my life as a Christian, the consequences of standing before the Lord at at the judgment seat, and the consequences, the regret that I will feel then. And if that's what James is talking about here, James can be saying something like this. What good is it? What good is it as far as the earthly consequences of sin, the regret you may feel when you stand, you will feel when you stand before Christ at his judgment. If you've had this kind of faith, where let's, let's assume it is a saving faith. You are redeemed. You are going to heaven when you die. But if you but if nothing changes, can that faith save you from the million different kinds of regret that we can feel from our sin today? No will that kind of will that kind of faith save you from all of the regret when you stand before the one who will judge you by the law that gives freedom? The answer is no that kind of faith even let's assume I'm someone who does have faith in Christ, that I'm justified before him eternally. I will go into the place he has prepared for me. But if my faith doesn't go to work, I should expect a life of regret and a pile of regret when I stand before him at the judgment seat. Both of those things can be true. So it could be true. James can be saying, man, if you have say you have believed in Jesus but nothing has ever changed, I'd be really worried about your eternal state. But if we're past that, if you believed in Jesus and your life, your faith is not going to work to change your life, you are not being saved from all kinds of stuff you need saved from. That's the main idea of the whole passage. Everything else, is James giving examples to help illustrate his answers to these two questions. First, he gives, um, yeah, I had a really good point about that, but we're past that now, so we're going to keep rolling. In verses 15 through 17, James gives an analogy. It's like, hey, let's just say a a really poor person comes in to see it comes into church or comes to where you live or work and you can tell man winter's coming and this person does not have enough food or clothing to survive the coming winter and if all you do is pat him on the head and say well I'll pray for you and I sure hope you find enough food and and something warm to wear good luck out there tiger right and you let him go James says are those Kind words and good thoughts and your prayers, is that going to do anything for that person? What's the answer to that question? The <laughs> answer to that question is no. You're not actually going to help them in ways they need helped. A claimed, only faith that doesn't go to work in our lives, it doesn't begin to change me and shape who I am, is not doing what it ought to be doing. This faith that that we open the Bible and learn about every week in here, it will help you. It will help you help others. Like it's good for you now, not just after you die. Like it's good for you right now. Living a life where I just well I hope I'll survive someday when I stand before him, but I really don't see anything that I'm doing now as a problem. That's a little bit like saying, Well, treating somebody like ah, I hope you survive the cold. We really don't need to change anything here. It's nonsensical. It's silly. Let's continue. Next example, verse 18. James starts a hypothetical conversation. So someone who disagrees with James, a made-up person comes to James and gives an objection to James. Now, I'll tell you, this is the hardest part of this passage to understand because the Greek doesn't have quotation marks had not been invented yet. And I'm telling you, it's really hard to tell when to close these quotation marks. And I intentionally picked two different translations, one in the first slide and a second one here. And they close the quotation marks in different places. And I'm not going to go into all the uh, the possibilities, but it would change what James is saying depending upon where we close those quotes. I agree with this one. It's on the screen right now, and we're just going to go with it. So this hypothetical person comes into James and says, well, you have faith, but I have works. I have deeds. Here's what this person is saying to James. This is a person who sees a system of faith and a system of deeds or works as separate things. James is writing at the very earliest days of Christianity. He is expressing the gospel that he explained. James believes that salvation is by faith alone. In verse 118, James says, we were born again when we believed a message. That's salvation by faith alone. That's what James believed. It's just not what he's, he's writing about. He's writing about growing in that faith. But the message was so revolutionary. People are still saying it. You are telling me, I just believe in Jesus and I go to heaven, eternal bliss forever and ever. Yeah. Well, it can't work like that. This guy says, you have faith. I have works. You go ahead and depend on your faith. I am going to depend upon some good things that I do, some religious things that I do. Okay. And I think that's the objection. And then James' answer is, man, tell somebody that has this claimed only faith that he talked, maybe talked about a minute ago, Show me your faith that doesn't have any works. I will show you my faith by my deeds. James is answering somebody that says it has to be more than that. There's no way believing in Jesus can secure your eternity. Because then if you tell people that message, they're just going to say they believe in Jesus and just sin like mad the rest of their lives. This place will be a a nightmare. James says, no, no, no. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. It's not either faith or works it's a faith that works it is not show me your faith without deeds and i'll tell you you're going to heaven it is i'll show you my faith by the by the change the changes that my faith makes within my lives that's the way this faith is supposed to work verse 19 maybe the most misused verse in a passage full of verses that get misused. James says this, you believe that there is one God, good, or you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Here's the way this is used by Christians most often. It's used to try to make this point. See, there is no way faith alone is enough to save people. Because Because the demons believe in Jesus and they're not going to heaven when they die. You've probably heard someone make an argument sort of like that. That's a nonsensical argument. It just makes no sense. And here's why. Demons are not saved by faith. Demons aren't saved by repentance. Demons aren't saved if they shape up. Demons are going to spend eternity in the lake of fire and there's not one thing they can do about it. You know why? Because there was no God demon who died on a cross to save angels from their sins. Okay, there was a God man who died on a cross to save mankind from our sins. There's no possibility of heaven for a fallen angel. They get one chance. They sin one sin and it is over. That's why angels look at us, get saved, redeemed and go crazy because they cannot believe what a miracle is that God can take someone as filthy as me or you and clean them up and make them acceptable to him because they know God's holiness and their cousins who sinned one time are going to be lost forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. ever. So James is not saying faith can't be enough. Otherwise, the demons would be saved. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> they just wouldn't. That's nonsense. James is saying something more like this. The demons, even though they know, they know they are lost forever. They also know there comes a day where they're going to stand in judgment before their God and they shudder at the idea of standing there. James says, oh, Christian, if the Demons who are irredeemable shudder at the thought of standing before God. Why don't you? Don't be like them. Right? There's this idea that has crept into evangelical Christianity where I believe in Jesus so now I can have the best of both worlds which is a lie. Because the sinful stuff we think is the best down here causes pain and death. James says, just keep in mind who you're going to stand in front of one day. Don't just shudder and move on. Let this thing go to work. In verse 20, James just reiterates the main idea. He says, are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? A claimed-only, false, not-really-faith faith Faith is useless as far as getting to heaven is concerned. But But an immature, necrotic, carnal faith is useless for what it should be used for. And then James launches into an extended example to prove his point, to illustrate what he's been talking about. His example is Abraham. In verse 21, James says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Here's how we know James uses the concept of justification differently than Paul does. Because both men quote this, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. James believed that Abraham was sealed uh, eternally the moment he believed. Here's the timeline of Abraham. Abraham uh, was a pagan dude that lived in Iraq. And God called him, said, hey, you come walk with me and I promise you, God said, I promise you to give, to give you tons of descendants and then a land and bless all the nations of the world through you. But before Abraham could have lots and lots of descendants, he had to at least start with one descendant. Okay? When God made Abraham those promises, Abraham believed God would do it. And in the book of Genesis, in chapter 15, when Abraham believed God, he was justified by faith, credited as being righteous like the first slide we looked at. When God looked at him, he saw the righteousness of of his ultimate ancestor, Jesus Christ, okay? But he didn't have a descendant for decades and decades and decades and decades, okay? When he finally did have a descendant, his name was Isaac, God had an interesting request, At some point, as Isaac was growing, God said, I want you to take that descendant, that son, the one you love, and take him up on on that mountain out there and kill him for me. And Abraham did it. I mean, he he, he set out to do exactly that. And at the last minute, before he plunged a knife into his own kid that he'd waited a hundred years for, God said, Whoa, stop! And he offered a substitute. Okay, that's this story. That's this story. Now, James says he was justified by that. James is not teaching Abraham was not going to heaven unless he obeyed right there. That's just not true. The Bible teaches over and over Abraham was secured for his eternal life when he believed God. But James uses the idea of justification differently. How about this? Was whenever Abraham died and stood before God to be to have his behavior judged? Was that a more pleasant experience given what happened on Mount Moriah and what he did with his son? Absolutely. Could you say that Abraham was Saved from that regret because of how faithful he was there? Absolutely. Absolutely. His behavior counted and mattered, and God noticed. And what he was willing to do with his son for God made God change the way he viewed Abraham's behavior. That's also justification. Not for eternity but it's justification. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned. His faith went to work. His faith and works went together until that's the pinnacle of Abraham's life. It's maybe the most obedient thing anyone ever did in all of history until Jesus did not find a substitute for his own death. It's very Christ-like. If growing in this faith is becoming more and more Christ-like, you can't get better than Abraham did it. And so he's called a friend of God because of that act of, act of faithfulness. When, when we believe so much that what God says is best is best, and I'm going to do what God says is best even when every part of me is begging me to do something different. Now we're getting somewhere in this maturity thing. And Abraham is the pinnacle of that. And that's why James can say, a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. He goes to heaven based on faith alone. But God still will have some opinions about our behavior. And those can be changed. They will be changed based on our works. Before he closes, James offers one more example. It's the example of a a woman named Rahab. It's in in, uh, the book of Joshua chapter two. You can read that on your own later. Here's what this is for, or what this is in here for. Same thing. This woman named Rahab had to do something that took a crazy amount of faith. In fact, she thought it would cost her her life if she did what God would have wanted her to do. But she did it. Um, turns out her, she was actually saved physically by being obedient. But here's why this is in here. Do not think, man, this growing in Christianity thing and maturing and becoming like Jesus, that's for the superstars like Abraham. Just so you don't think that, James puts this text, this little example on here because Rahab was a prostitute. And this is James saying, I don't care who you are if you accept Christ and if you decide what He says is best and you desire that He begin to change you, He will change you. It doesn't matter if you're the superstar of the faith or the prostitute that lives in Jericho. But understand, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. God wants to do stuff through our faith. It should be alive and at work. James teaches, well, James would agree with this. Our works, good works without faith are worthless. But in a way, faith without works is worthless too. Whether or not that faith gets us into eternity to his glory or not, Faith that doesn't go to work cannot save us from a million different things that ought to be saving us from. There is stuff God wants us to do. Real faith works. There's a, a decorated British soldier, a medic from World War I. And I love his quote about faith. He says, faith is not believing in spite of evidence, it's obeying in spite of consequence. That's a great quote about growing, a growing faith. Getting to the point not where how much do I have to believe so I can go to heaven when I die versus I believe you so much I will do what you want even even if it hurts. Are we growing in this? How's your faith? Is it at work in your life? There's stuff it still needs to save you from and me from. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the reality that faith is enough to bless us with the grace of the righteousness of Christ on our behalf and we are positionally secure. But God, How silly are we if we think you can save us from hell, but you can't save us from like boredom? Forgive us, Lord, when we think you can save us from hell, but we have better ideas how to save ourselves from loneliness, a lack of acceptance. God, grow us, put our faith to work and grow us into people who want you to save us from everything. that we will be people with a working faith that will change not us, not just us, but, but those around us as well when we believe enough to behave, to, 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 to change in spite of whatever consequences may come. Be a work in us, God. Give us a working faith to your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Stand up with us. Let's finish our time this morning.